Good morning. It's good to see you on this Thanksgiving weekend, coming to church. We're going to take note of that. Welcome. As Pastor Johnny Reeves said, um, maybe you're visiting with somebody, maybe this is your first time to Portico, or maybe you've been here forever. We want you to feel at home, um, and if you're someone that's like, you know what, it's been this long time since I've been to church. I don't know that I believe everything that you say out of the Bible, and this is a good place to learn. Um, take, own it. Get your questions answered. You can do that in our community. Um, we would love to be a resource for you. We're in a Revelation series right now. Revelation 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to be at. Ironically, we're not talking about the coming Jesus, the, the infant child, God taking on flesh. We're actually finishing up our series where Jesus is the risen king. He's poured the Spirit out on his church. And the Apostle John, he's, he's kind of taken him and torn the veil between the physical and the immaterial world. And he's showing um, the disciple, hey, this is common. And the context of this letter, this revelation, is he's speaking to real churches in Asia Minor in real time. And what we know is that everything he speaks to these churches, both the encouragements, the blessings, and the criticisms and the calls to judgment that he gives them are, are really just a paradigm for us as the local church today. So why are we doing this? Well, we're almost 10. Um, Easter 2020 is our 10-year anniversary at Portico Church. And so this is good, right? We should always clap when we say that. Um, we're excited about that. It's God's grace. But we want, G- we want to see this church, Portico Church, through the eyes of Jesus. We want him to evaluate, if you will, um, where we are. So we're, we're doing that hard work. So Revelation 3, chapter, third chapter, verses 1 through 6. Um, so if you need a Bible, we have some in the back. And we'll also put it up on the screen. I had a chance last week to get together with some old friends, good friends, and we went out to uh, a good restaurant. It was a lot of fun. I don't know why I don't do that more. Um, We had a really good time, but one interesting thing that happened was uh, the waitress who was the server, she was really great, and we got to talking and found out she's going to nursing school. And I know some nurses, so I said, well, what school are you going to? Because I'm nosy. You know that about me. And she, kind of, she said it, but she was embarrassed. And she's embarrassed about that school. I don't, in fact, I don't even remember what school it was because she said it so well. She said, well, I wouldn't be going to this school, but, you know, it's so expensive. And it doesn't really matter where you get your undergrad. What matters is where you get your, your master's, right? And, and she was just apologizing to me for where she was going to school. So before I get to how that actually ties to our text today so well, side note, that's called education idolatry. Right? We take so much pride in the education that we get, but here's what's really going on. You want your name to be attached to success. And if you can get that in an educational institution, you'll get it. Because when you say, hey, I went to XYZ school, everybody starts making assumptions about your efficacy, your power, your value, your worth. She felt that. She wants her name attached to success. All of us to do. In fact, what Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is better than great riches. So your name matters. Your reputation matters. How you get it even matters more. But we all want that. The reason I tell you this is because this text that we're going to read today has the word name in it several times. 
name, 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 name. And it's about your reputation. It's about our reputation as a church and how we get that. Um, and just so you know, name, we don't use that word name in our culture the way that the biblical culture did. So in Old Testament or even New Testament times, when they said name, it meant something. It wasn't just a handle or something that you called your kid. It was something that carried an identity with it. There was character to it, right? It also would push forward into a destiny. So if you, if you had a certain name, there was an expectation, there was a destiny attached to it. And even more so, it gave you access. Now that makes sense to us because, for instance, if you go to certain colleges, let's just be honest, it, that name on your resume, that diploma, that name on your diploma will open up access to you in ways that maybe another name wouldn't. So this is all inherent in names. We, we understand that, but even more so in this text today. So as we read this text, um, I want you to think through how you get your reputation, how we get our name or our reputation in this church body. And, and here's the hard part. How does Jesus see that? Like, what is our name before him? What is our reputation before him? So this is where the text goes. We're going to be in chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And this is Jesus speaking to the next church, which is Sardis, right there in Asia Minor. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive or the name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet... You have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before the Father and before the angels. And the constant refrain, he who has an ear, In other words, everybody's hearing it. He who has the courage to obey this and believe this, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you as people highly educated and in great need. Maybe what we do doesn't really matter in the end. Maybe what we hold on to is a sinking anchor. Lord, this is your word. We are your people. You delight in this church. You love us. You have a plan and a future and desires for us. Please give them to us and empower us with what we need to walk it out. Lord, would you open this word that we might behold its beauty and its treasure and it might it transform us and lift us up in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we jump through this, this is Sardis. Um, 
One of the cool things about Revelation is when Jesus is speaking to a church in a city, the, 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 the culture or the history of that city actually connects to the culture and the history of the church. You're like, is that on purpose? Absolutely. And that's the way it works. We are influenced in this church here by the culture of Northern Virginia. Is that all bad? No, it's not all bad. Are some things bad? Absolutely. So we let the Lord speak into that. But Sardis, of course, is no different than anywhere else in that, in that way. Um, just a little bit about this, this ancient city of Sardis. It's about 30 miles south of Thyatira, which we spoke about um, last week. The thing about Sardis is it's, it's kind of living on past glory. You might say this is where dreams go to die. Sardis was a good, big city at one time for a few reasons. It had a natural citadel. In other words, there were um, wings of cliffs that surrounded the city. There was only one way into the city through this, through this little southern path that would wind its way up around these wings. 1,500-foot cliffs that you, you just couldn't scale them. So it had a natural defense system. Um, it was kind of a big deal, especially... Uh, when it, uh, Persia kind of owned the world and the Persian capital was there for a while, less so after Alexander the Great and even less so when Rome had the empire. So it kind of had a f- former glory. And if you are a, I don't even know what they call them, a, sar- a sardine maybe. If you are in Sardis, you would definitely remember your history. You would have pride in it. It would mean something to you. But honestly, nothing's happening there. Your time is over and gone. So what you hold to is really nothing. Um, They're living on past reputation. Has everybody seen Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah, we've all seen that, right? So they're basically like Uncle Rico. Like, you know what? I can probably throw this football over those mountains, right? Napoleon, check this out. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. They're living on past glories. They're believing something about themselves that is no longer true. And here's what Jesus says to them. Not to the city, but to the church. I know your works. Jesus always starts out with, I know. I know where you live, or I know your works. I know your works. You have the reputation, literally that word is name in the original Greek there. I, you have the name of being alive, but you're dead. What does he mean? Well, first of all, the Spirit. Listen to how he begins that. I should have started right there. Why didn't I do that? And the angel of the church, to the angel in the church of Sirtis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Do you know what the word or the number seven in the scripture denotes? Fullness. This is the Spirit of God in full confidence, in full power with full eyes, seeing everything, speaking to this church who has a reputation of being full of good works. But Jesus is like, they're incomplete. Before God, they're incomplete. So he calls them dead. You have a good name before people in your city, but your works are dead. In other words, you feel safe, you feel secure, you feel powerful because you can control what people think about you, but I don't see it. I don't see it. You're kind. You're good. You do things that earn your reputation. But where's that coming from? Is it coming from a heart 
of worship, and he calls them dead. So here's a question we need to ask before we, we jump in here any further. Why are they dead? Because here's what Jesus says. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. In other words, if God is our judge before his face, these are not good works. Why? Well, it doesn't say anything else. We have to go to the end of the text to figure out why these works are incomplete. He says here, as we go forward in the text, I will confess, he's speaking of the Worthing Saints, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. How you conquer is tied to what the problem is. Here's why their works are irrelevant. They are very good at doing good things, but keeping Jesus hidden. In other words, if their reputation is going to lose because it's attached to the name of Jesus, they're going to keep it back here. Not going to, they'll hold on to it, but it's going to be behind the back. Because it brought too much trouble to their lives to live in this empire and to hold to a different king. So this is how they're incomplete. They're not flowing out of love of God. They're not flowing out of love for God. They're just good. They're just good works. Wow. Somebody tell me I was knocking this over. Johnny, I'm sorry. I'll get you a new one for Christmas if I break it. Um, Here's the bottom line. Their good works were not leading them to their good God. The works they were doing for others were not leading people to the life-giving God. They weren't. Like, well, well, weren't they still good works, though? I guess. Honestly, some of the people that I know that are the, what I would consider the best people when it comes to kindness and goodness and love, a lot of times are not even believers. I'm just going to tell you that right now. God calls some raggedy people. That's you and me. You and me. So do your good works, the works that you do, do they actually lead people to Jesus? Do they get to meet who you love? Or is it just like, mm, I'm going to do something good for you, and it's kind of because I know God, but you don't get to know him because you're not probably not going to like him or love him the way I do. So th- this is what he's talking about. Your works are incomplete before the face of God because they don't come from. They're not motivated by what God has done for you, and they're not motivated by a genuine love or trust of God. So he calls them. He says, wake up and watch. You need to wake up. This is happening. So this is God's work right here. Wake up. See, good works, if they're devoid of God's work, are, they're not good anymore. They're dead works. This is something that we don't talk about very much in Scripture or even in the church. But if you're committed to good works, but those are devoid or absent of God's work, then they're dead. I mean, they can still be beneficial, but this is not what God is calling us to. This book right here is not a self-help manual for us to follow in the hope that maybe we can live well and be worthy of heaven someday. That is not what this book is. 
This book is actually God's rescue plan that he is executing present tense in the person and work of Christ right now. This is it. And how we appropriate that rescue plan is through faith, right? It's not for us to work out our own salvation without God. And that if we do it well enough, maybe God will love us. No, no. He is rescuing us. This is about forgiveness. This is about newness. This is something that we receive. This is something that we hold on to. And this is building love in us. They just missed it. Something tells me they were really good at loving God. And there was a season in their church where they were right on the money. They loved others out of a heart of worship, out of a heart that loves God, right? Good works, though, devoid of God's work are dead works. Jesus is telling us. Wake up and watch. Secondly, he calls them to remember. So be evaluated. Let, let our good works be evaluated. Are they leading people to the life giver? Are they leading people to God? And secondly, he tells them to remember and then repent. Um, listen, your good works, my good works, can be a false fortress. Now, this acts, in other words, they can make us feel secure and make us feel good, but you just don't know God. Um, this was actually tied to Sardis's history because they had a natural outcropping of rock on both sides, and there's only one way into the city. Many people had tried to overthrow the city, but very few people were successful. So this gave them a they were just lazy at one point. They're lethargic because nobody gets in here. We have a natural citadel. Well, it happened actually in 549, Cyrus overthrows the city. And so now Sardis belongs to Persia. But you know how it happened? One of the soldiers, as the story goes, dropped his helmet, one of the soldiers uh, up in Sardis, and he dropped his helmet down the path. And he walks down there and gets it. And the Persians see him. He grabs his helmet and walks back up. They're like, everybody, up that road. That's how we get in and bash the doors open. And it was theirs. So there's a lethargy. Um, when they were focused on their own security and their own works, they were overthrown. And it happened a couple hundred years later. Antiochus overthrew the city as well. Uh, so it, it ended up being belonging to Greece. The point is, Jesus is using this city so that he can warn them you're on the brink, friends. You think you're secure? You think your works earn favor before me? You think your works are what's saving you? You think your works are earning something before me? They are not. It's my works that matter. Hold on to that. So he calls them to remember and repent. So let's understand what that means. Verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Again, it doesn't tell us what they've received, but that's important. It doesn't say, remember what you've earned before me. He says, well, no, remember what you've received and heard. Keep that. And if you find your life finding security in your good works, walk away from that and hold on to my good works. Am I telling you you shouldn't do good works? Absolutely not. That's not what Jesus is saying here. So let's understand what they received. I'm just going to turn back to the beginning of Revelation. We'll just keep it in the same book. Many times that's the easiest way to understand what the author's talking about. In verse 5, he says, these are things that all the churches have received. 
Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Then he goes on, to him who loves us. So before he even gets in, it says that Jesus is the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. So what have you received? You receive unconditional love. But what if I'm not good enough? He doesn't qualify it. So the thing that you receive that you need to hold on to is that Jesus brings you unconditional love. When you forget that, you, you are absolutely going to try to earn your status before God with your own works. Receive it. Hold on to it. Unconditional love. Second thing that he says, freedom, right? He has freed us from our sins by his blood. That means in our heart of hearts, we want to be Lord. We're not crazy about telling people telling us how to live, not only God telling us that we should worship him. That is a sin nature. That is what sin does. It makes God's um, love look like it's imposed upon our lives. Jesus frees us from that tyranny of sin, not just by saying, oh, well, let's just pretend you didn't do it. I just won't. You know what? I know that you didn't. No, by his blood, meaning this, he actually pays in real time for our sin, absorbs the wrath of what we have earned. This is what love does. If you want to know the measure of love, it's, it's always what you give up or what, what you're willing to pay for something. So we've received unconditional love, freedom from sin by his blood. And then he goes on. He's made us a, he's made us a kingdom of priests, You've been given a royal family. You've been given a calling that you could have no other way. The church in Sardis has forgotten this. You belong to God because of his unconditional love. You've been freed from sin, right? Your works aren't going to cut it. And you've been given a royal calling, a royal family. So repent. Um, let me read you something because repentance is hard if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains but have not love I am nothing if I give away all that I have And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is about love, friends. This is all about receiving the love that God has for you and then walking in it. So this repentance isn't just do your works better, do them harder. You're a little off. No, you don't love God in them. You're doing them for you. You do know for how they make you feel, not how they make your heavenly Father who loves you feel. Um, Here's what Jesus wants us to feel in this. He wants us to feel utterly shocked that we constantly replace his love with other things. That we constantly replace the security that he gives us in unconditional love with other things. That for a season we're like, yeah, that's great, but this— 
Let me find my security in how my job goes, in the education that I have, in this relationship that once I get it and it gets set, then I'll be good in comparative righteousness with other people. When I have a place like that or when I have a house like that, then I'll be good and I'll know for sure God loves me. We should be utterly shocked that we cast out or minimize God's unconditional love for us and that we're just to receive it or hold on to it. That's called grace. And that it's just underwhelming for us. Just underwhelming for us. That's what we should be shocked at. Um, This is like that player on your team. I think this actually happened in the NFL. Who was the best player, had the most talent, you're so happy he's on your team, and he doesn't show up to practice, and he gets put on the pine. He gets benched, or maybe even kicked off the team. This, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. You believe that your character and your works and your efficacy and your knowledge is what has earned you a standing before God. He's like, no. you got to hold on to my works. Your relationship with me is by my grace. And Jesus says, if you don't understand that, what's going to happen is it's, when I come back to you, it's going to be like a thief in the night. And you're going to wonder what happened. I thought I did everything right, but you didn't have love. Good works devoid of God's work are dead works. This sounds rough. I wanna, we've got to go to the grace here. This is what Jesus says. Walk with me. Walk with Jesus. This is what he says. Um, right about this time of year, usually in Thanksgiving or Christmas, I would, when I was about eight years old, I would get to go to work with my dad. So he was a supervisor in the state of California for the fleet, for their vehicles. And so there was a big garage downtown in Sacramento, and he would supervise that garage. And so I would get to go to work with him, usually the day before Thanksgiving or after, because it was a half day. And he would take me to work. It was like, I thought it was amazing, right? Um, but this is what would happen when I would go to work with him. He would walk me through this whole garage. There's all these cars, all these mechanics, all these people doing stuff. And he would grab me and walk me through there. And once I would meet somebody, he's like, oh yeah, this is my boy, Jace. And like, he would introduce me to everybody. And I could feel his pride. And I was eight. So it wasn't because I was awesome. By 10, I had peaked. But at eight, no. No, he, why was he so proud of me? I don't even know. He just loved me. And he would parade me around that garage, and I felt absolutely invincible. It wasn't because I was great, but in his eyes, right, he loved me, and he would just push me around. And I would walk around there. I'd kind of get like, you know, I'd, I'd start telling people what to do. Like, oh, that's Connor's kid. You better do what he said. So this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what it means to conquer that you will receive that kind of love from God. That you'll receive that. So conquering is holding on to his name. And this is personal for Jesus. You see what he says? He says, you guys still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. We're going to walk together. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. And they'll earn my favor. They'll be good. 
we're going to walk together. It's, very, it's personal for him. Do you understand that? Um, it's personal for Jesus. Not based on your works, but on his. He means you to feel invincible. As the letter opened up, Jesus' name was identified as the faithful witness. He's more... His faith is not going to die on us, even though ours does. He identified himself as the firstborn of the dead. He can get this done, and he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And this is what he gives us by holding on to his work, which is conquering. Listen, this is what he gives us. Clothed in white, you receive that. That's righteousness. Now, in Sardis, they were good at making wool. That would have rung to them. Clothed in white. He's going to give you his rightness. If you will trust in him, it's going to take away the despair of wondering if I'm good enough. Just receive his love. He's going to clothe you in white. He's going to give you a name that will never be removed from the book of life. He doesn't get tired of you. He doesn't say, I've had enough of it. I'm so tired of Jason and his weakness. Not taking it out. And here's what's awesome. Remember in the beginning how he said, oh, here's the problem with your works. Before God, they're weak, they're dead. Listen to what he does for those who will trust in him. He says... I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This is a public profession of praise publicly before God's face, before the heavenly court, before eternity. Whose name? Your name. Your personal name. Jesus goes public with it. And he proclaims your name. You should feel that. When somebody likes a post on Facebook... You get just a little bit of giddiness, yeah? You feel good about yourself for eight seconds. How about the risen king making your name public and proclaiming it and praising it before God the Father, before his face? Not based on my works, but based on his love for me and the fact that worthiness in this context is I hold on to his name. I don't hide it. I love him because he loves me. This is before God. Your name goes public. So that's holding on to his name. So how do you conquer? You've got to hold his name out. That's what he's talking about. You've got to bring his name to others. Don't hide it. Lead others to your greatest love. Can we just say that for a minute? Um, if you love something, you make it public. It might be a sports team. It might be a band. It might be somebody that you love. Oh, you've got to meet everybody I know. I'm just going to tell you, church, it's a little awkward when the object of our love, like we just don't introduce them. You ever had somebody who like, they walk up and there's two of them and it's one of them's your friend and then you're into the conversation for six minutes and you don't even know who this other person is? I do that. I'm sorry. It's awkward. You're like, what? Who? Hi, I'm Jason. If Jesus is this to us, if his love matters like that, do not be afraid to introduce him. Well, that's awkward. Okay. 
build a relationship with people, but presumably they care about what you care about. So do not hide him. Hold out his name. Because the ones who have soiled garments in this text, in the church of Sardis, are those who would not do that if it meant losing their reputation, not getting the promotion, being thought of as odd at the Thanksgiving table. And that's going to just be all of us. See, if Jesus is going to damage my rep, i got to keep a low profile on it. I need to avoid conflict. But Jesus is like, that's really awkward. Like, you're holding me back from your people, from your situations, from everything. No, no, let me love you, right? Walk in my goodness. Walk in my works, right? Good works, devoid of God's good work, are dead. This is the call to the church in Sardis. Friends, you are good at good works. Can I just tell you that? I love your good works. I got invited to Thanksgivings, and I invited people to my Thanksgiving, but they're already gone. They're like other other people's tables. You guys are loving and good, you take the gospel seriously. The check for us is this. Do your life-giving works, the things that you're committed to as a church, that we're committed to as Portico Church, are they leading people to the life-giver or not? Are we going all the way with that? Jesus means us to feel invincible. He means us to feel his love. But are we doing that? Speak Jesus. That's it. Make it personal. Introduce who you're with. Don't be awkward, Christian. Friends, it's going to be awkward. And let me just help you. Don't fear that. Don't feel being awkward. Jesus wants you to introduce him to those that you know and the situations that you're in. This is the call of God. This is what God is calling us to do. Um, what does that look like? I don't know. It could be a friend. It could be, it could be encouraging someone else. Um, it could just speak his name. Say his name. This is what God is calling us to do. Good works devoid of God's work are dead works. So let's commit to do this. Do it this week. Like, I've tried it. It doesn't go well. Let your good works, because you're good at them. Let those good works lead you, lead others to the life giver. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for your good works. We thank you that your good works lead us to the face of God. Your good works on our behalf lead us before the throne. Not to be judged, not to be condemned, but to make our forgiveness and your love for us public. Let us glory in that, Jesus. Let us glory in that. And I pray for anyone here that just doesn't believe that or for whatever reason is going to struggle with that. Jesus, would you show them? Would you help them receive that? We lift all this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.